three, two, one, ghost. Everybody, welcome to three, two, one, ghost. As always, consistently, you know, I think, I hope, for your benefit. My name's Kyle, as always, your host with the silent G, joined by my confidant, my pal, my spooky pal. I mean, you know. The spookiest of pals. We never really got into titles, but you know, you're you're great. What's up, Natalie? How are you? How are you a co-host? I'm I'm great. I'm we I could just be just co-host. I can lose the Natalie. Um I I can't do titles. I've like I've tried to come up with creative things in my head and like tried them out out loud. Like I don't know if you've ever like practiced saying something out loud to see how it like rolls off the tongue. Nothing feels right other than Natalie. Like that's that's who I am. Natalie, Nat whatever you want to call me spooky bff great let's do it um i do hope i do hope wicked witch of the west coast makes its comeback at some point <laughs> it might it i might. did think that was very cute i do love it i do love it but when i say it i it's a tongue twister for me and you said it perfectly wicked witch of the west coast there you go look at that no, you we'll, just said we'll it see perfectly. if it makes a comeback we'll see we'll see Hey everybody, welcome to three, two, one ghost. <laughs> um, it's you know we're moving in the winter months, right? You know, San Diego. It's probably you know it's probably finally falling below eighty. Maybe we'll see. Sure, sure, we'll <laughs> say know? we'll say that. It's sure. A, <laughs> so a, a crisp seventy-five. You know, it's a time to be with friends and family, right? And also. We're getting into the the colder seasons you know so let's let's just start you know let's start the month off with the bang with uh a family film i think if anything i was gonna say you're gonna call it a family film huh <laughs> and also one a family film ari oster's 2018 film hereditary by the way and you know i think maybe not necessarily temperature cold but god this movie has no brevity or has no levity whatsoever. This is a such a humorless, cold, unforgiving, <laughs> fuck you, kick you while you're down and just hold you there and just leave you and just say fuck you. This movie is not necessarily <laughs> horrifying as it is just exhausting. Just like a long week at work and finding out that you forgot yeah. one thing that you still have to do that's going to keep you late or just you know i don't know it's all the <laughs> other things that just think of all the things that just exhaust you so much in your life and man the two hours <laughs> through this movie felt very uh i think that's the best word is exhausting but enough of me um let me toss it over to you what are your uh, what are your thoughts on this initial thoughts i'm so glad that you described it as exhausting because i didn't i didn't expect that coming from you um because that's how that's how this movie felt to me and i know that we've we briefly touched on it when we talked about midsummer i believe because we were talking about elevated horror and we were talking about um you know when i went into that movie and I saw it for the first time in the theater I didn't love it initially and as I've watched it and each watch I feel like my appreciation has grown for it more even though I have a lot of a lot of issues with the characters and what I'm starting to think and I'll try to stay calm I'm gonna try not to lose my head um uh, 
is that you know about this (laughs) that was intentional um sorry everybody um but this one maybe Ari Oster like the way that he writes characters just isn't for me I don't know what it is I like I have a personal bias towards Tony Collette, which I think we both do. And also I called her a national treasure because I always forget that she's Australian. So she's an international treasure. <laughs> let's let's give her that that title. She's a national and international treasure. Um but I will say just right off the bat, I think this movie is a good movie. I do acknowledge that it is a good movie. I think the acting is great. I think it's very well done. Um, I think it has its moments of being really fun and spooky. But at the same time, I also think this movie is very overrated. And I think it has so much, like, so much hype. There's just so many people, like, that love. They absolutely fucking love this movie. And... It's not in my favorite movies. It really isn't. Like, so it might get a better score because I do think it's a great film. And I think Toni Collette is, every time she says she wants to, she wants to die. I like literally get choked up um, when in that scene where she's crying. Like she's, she's incredible. So she's adding a lot to this movie for me. Um, But yeah, I have a lot of strong feelings. I have a lot of questions, a lot of questions. So Kyle's pretty much going to be walking me through what the fuck I'm watching in this movie because I've seen it three times. And unlike Midsummer, where I feel like I learn more and I see something and I'm like, oh, wow. Every time I watch this movie, I'm like, wait, what the fuck was that about? Like, and an example would be when she takes a sip of the tea at Joan's house, she gets like a little something in her mouth and they like zoom in on her finger. I'm like, what's that? Is that important? Is it relevant? Does it come up again later? Should I, should I be invested in this? And it like, it makes me like, I'm elevated now. Look at me. (laughs) I think that's, I think that's the intention of elevated horror. I mean, I think it's working. To to get my heart rate up. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I, I, you know, it's funny. I was expecting uh, we're gonna we're gonna fight I was expecting tonight. <laughs> us to be at odds with Midsummer, the other Ari Aster movie, and I was surprised that you'd suggested bringing this one up so close to Midsummer because like that was like mm-hmm. what like five six weeks ago, and yeah, this movie, you know, I feel like with a lot of these, I feel like I went and saw it in theaters. I talked it up a bunch. I was like, Natalie, we got to go see this movie. It's so good. And then you go see it and you're like, hmm, not really feeling it. And I wonder if it's because I hype it up too much. I think that's only a part of it. Only a part Could of be. it. I don't think it completely, Could be. you know, explains the whole thing. But I also want to uh, clarify when I say this movie is exhausting. I think it's effective because it's intentional. <laughs> it is intentional. Yes. I, I acknowledge that. So when you, you know... I I think you've gotten better at knowing that when you hype something up too much, that like makes me like hypercritical. So I think I've shared this before, but for anyone who isn't aware, the more positive reviews something is getting, the more people are hyping it up. I get in this mode of dissection that is just over the top. 
And I've really tried to stop doing that. And I think the only time I don't do that is like for a favorite franchise. So if it's Scream, I will forgive so many things. I go into it just like nothing's going to ruin this for me. Open mind. But when it's a new standalone film, if it's a new franchise that you're entering or even just like a solo new concept like Hereditary, then I go into it with this like microscope and I'm I'm trying to learn and grow, um, but it's a, it's a bad, bad habit of mine. And I think it ruins a lot of movies for me. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I think your ability to, you know, to talk shit is um, <laughs> distinguished. <laughs> it's interesting. Distinguished. I, uh, um, and, you know, hey, is any, has anyone ever called you overrated? It doesn't feel, it doesn't feel good, does it? <laughs> I, I mean, not to my of, face, at least. People worked really hard to make this movie, and you know what? I liked it. Damn it! And um, yeah, I mean, I just thought this movie was really effective. I love. I thought the whole cast was really good. You know, of course, you've got international industry legend yeah. Tony Collette. Um, you have Gabriel Byrne, who was in some other things. Um. Yeah, he, I feel like he was big in the 90s. Oh, you know what he was in that I love? This is a guilty a guilty pleasure movie of mine, and I don't say that lightly. The Man in the Iron Mask. Do you remember that movie? I do. I've never seen it, though. Um, you should watch it just for fun. Everyone should watch it just for fun. It's, it's dumb, and it's great, and he's in it. I think if I'm going to watch... It's a Three Musketeers movie, right? Yes, but... They're not, uh, they are the main, yeah, like John Malkovich is one of them. And then who's the third one? I don't remember. But it's it's really about Leonardo DiCaprio. It's like Jeffrey Rush. Oh, is it Jeffrey Rush? It might be. I mean, we'll run out remember. of the research team. I don't. Yeah, well, we're going to have to, <laughs> we'll have a full report on the man in the iron mask in our next episode for all of you. But if I'm going to watch a Three Musketeers movie... Jesus, I don't even remember the name of it. What's the one that has um, like Richard Gere in it? First Night? But that's not Three Musketeers. Oh, maybe I'm thinking of First Night. That's a great movie too. Should we do a whole month of just medieval movies? <laughs> maybe. I don't think this is even the first time we brought up First Night, but um, what's, it's no. got Chris O'Donnell in it. <laughs> and it's got Kiefer Sutherland. We'll run it up to the research team. We're, yeah, we're going to have to It's some out, other Three uh, Musketeers movie. Yeah, that sounds like a research team task for sure. <laughs> okay, so, so it's got Gabriel Byrne. Um, you have Alex Wolf, who is another Jumanji kid. Not the Jumanji kid I brought up in Halloween H2O, but he's a new Jumanji kid in the Dane, Dwayne Johnson hmm. ones. Um. And then you've got being in those movies and I've seen both of them. And Um, then you've got probably if anyone kind of overshadows Tony Collette or even matches Tony Collette a little bit, it's probably Millie Shapiro in this movie who, you know, have you ever seen pictures of her outside of this movie? No, I've never seen her. It like just looking like her normal self. Um, I've only seen her as this character and I have a lot to say about the character of Charlie. Um, but she is so like she's kind of like a little bit punk rock like in some of her more like recent photos like she's she's really cute um like and when I say cute like I feel like she like 
she looks like a doll to me like I don't know like a cute little punk rock like doll I don't know how old she actually is um she's supposed to be 13 in this movie but I didn't look up her actual age but yeah she's delightful of of our famous Millie's would you how would you compare her against Bobby Brown or Vanilli? You were saving that, right? I would say pretty highly. <laughs> Sorry pretty, if I left that. Pretty any. highly. No. I'd say so. Um goodness gracious. And then you've got uh Ann Dowd who plays uh Joan, who um I mean I really The MVP do- of this movie. I fucking love Joan. Joan's my favorite part. I'm gonna just say that right off the bat. Most love recently Joan. she's she's in that new david gordon green exorcist movie which oh, i haven't is. seen what else is she in because her face is so familiar but i i couldn't place her and i didn't i didn't do a lot of um cast research for this one because i had so much to say about the movie so i i, I kept it light yeah and we got a research team for that it's okay they're on the payroll yeah. um yeah and dad was also in an hbo show called the leftovers that was on Not a few years ago that was pretty bonkers i think pretty kind of polarizing maybe for people but i i really mm. enjoyed it um mm. even when it got even more kind of up its own ass a little bit but I, I still thought it was really good it's just you know the one thing i'm just going to remember from that show is just how often they play that pixie song where is my mind you know <laughs> and i'm just kind of like mm, okay i feel like i don't know that song's fine don't, don't and they also, play that a lot in malignant like every dramatic scene that happens that song like kicks in i think it's, geez, I think do it's they? that song i don't know if it's quite at the rate is that last robert pattinson batman where like i felt like every other scene they just started playing that nirvana song something in the way just over and over <laughs> and it's just to remind you of just like look how dark this batman is the shit's in <laughs> the shit's in drop d that's how fucking dark he is and uh <laughs> it's oh whatever but yeah this movie like i said you know it's i don't think it starts with the you know fuck you punch to the throat like midsummer does but again i think you know what i was saying in the midsummer episode was he was like remember all that traumatic shit you know (laughs) that i started that i came up with with uh hereditary i'm just gonna fucking just double down in the first 10 minutes of midsummer and uh but this movie does start you know with a with an in memoriam um and with a Mm -hmm. funeral you know the elevated horror right it's all about you know trauma you know it's all about you know this movie it's you know when i'm reading about the themes of this movie you know it it talks about you know trauma talking about you know mental illness um Mm -hmm. even though i don't know i don't think it really like says all the things it needs to or all the appropriate things about that but um and for me i'm just coming up with i'm just here for a good demonic possession cult situation which is great i think the interesting thing for me that i picked up on a lot in so the first time i watched this movie i watched it at home by myself then i watched it again on the airplane and then this third of the way through i kind of was doing more like time markers to see if i was like how off base i was because when I had originally talked about this movie and I'd only seen it once, I didn't remember a lot of the horror elements in it. And I was like, okay, there is more, there's more spooky stuff than I originally gave it credit for. 
But in this third watch, remembering all the spooky stuff, I was like, oh, but it doesn't happen until an hour into the film. So you've got half a drama, half a horror film. So you're setting the stage for a really long time, which is fine. But the theme that I picked up on that I really actually love about this movie is the grief aspect of it. So like when you're starting with Toni Collette at this funeral with her mom and they get home and she says, should I, should I be sadder? Like, she's like, not really that upset. Like the dad checks in with the son and he's like, are you okay? And he's like, yeah, like, you know, grandma's whatever. Like, you know, they're in this mode of like, they're not really, they're not processing it the way that people would expect someone to process the loss of their mother. But then when her daughter dies, her grief literally goes from that, should I be sadder to I want to die? And I think it's such a, that's probably my favorite thing of this entire movie is like that depiction of different levels of grieving. It doesn't, you know, how the relationship that you have with someone is what matters, not the actual role that they play. So even though it was her mother, like she wasn't grieving the same way. Like, I mean, your child is is a completely different type of loss, but um, I just thought it was such a nice, refreshing thing to see because generally in movies, if anyone dies for any reason, it's maybe someone that you've met once before. People are like in tears because they had some proximity to them. And as someone who has a lot of trouble with being sympathetic and empathetic towards like people that I don't know. I related a lot to her just not grieving the right way, I guess, so to speak. Like, you know, it might be viewed as being cold or distant or whatever it may be. So I really liked that, um, that, and I like, I love her whole speech that she gives at the, um, at the funeral as awkward as it is (laughs) to listen to. Yeah. And no, I think you touched on that really well. And I agree. And and it's a kind of interesting device, you know, using grief to explain pretty quickly um, everyone's relationship to this person who is never alive during the entire movie and never speaks during the entire movie. Um, So it really sets up pretty quickly you know the complicated relationship that tony collette has with her um it makes sense now after the movie why um peter didn't have that relationship and he's just kind of and then also just being like an older teenager i think it's you know i think it's it's different when you you know sometimes when you process grief especially i don't know it's and really kind of how tony collette explains how um you know how inconsistent um her mother's relationship was with with the rest of the family but then you Mm -hmm. see how um the daughter's name what's her name again i'm sorry charlie i'm sorry and how Mm -hmm. and how charlie feels about it and then you just know like again explains like how close that connection was and then you find out like oh it's because um she's literally the fucking incarnation of payment you know the fucking (laughs) yeah she she is uh yeah i i I think they do a really good way too of um, not like hand fisting the, what is it? Hand feeding, hand fisted. I don't know. 
um, that information to you, like the way that they have that moment in the bed where she's like, Hey, how are you doing? And like, she's saying, you know, you were always grandma's favorite, like trying to make her feel better, but also storytelling, like even like the knowing like where the trajectory of the the plot goes, like her saying like, she wouldn't even let me feed you sometimes. I'm like, Oh, I don't, I don't like that. What was she feeding her? <laughs> like, that's a, that's a weird, that's, being a mom, I will tell you right now, there's nobody that's like, oh, I'll feed, I'll feed him. It's fine. Like you stop. I would be like, no, fuck you. <laughs> like that's, that's my job. Calm down. Um, so that was, I, I really liked, um, yeah, how they, how they deliver that. So that was, that was great. I think also to, you know, I, I, I mean, I think you can speak on this better than I can. And I'm certainly happy to invite you to, um, you know, I mean, gosh, you know, throughout horror from everything from, you know, Psycho to Rosemary's Baby um, to this, I mean, gosh, even in Scream, the mother was a character who never spoke, you know, yeah. talking about Maureen Prescott. And yeah. and the, what, this ta- what this movie says about motherhood, I think the way in which she shares well, doesn't share Peter with her own mother. And then also, and then I think she was saying even like the guilt, you know, of that is like why she invited her a little more in with Charlie. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I just thought it was interesting. And just and then later even, you know, when she shares like after sleepwalking, when she blurts out that she never wanted to be Peter's mother. And it's like, oh. I don't know. I don't. Oh, and then sharing that she tried to have a miscarriage as well. Um, well, that was in her dream, though, right? That was a nightmare. You're right. Yeah, that was in her dream. But yeah, I guess I just, it's a challenge. I mean, I appreciate that even in the confines of like a horror, in the context of a horror movie, um, I don't know. I think sharing some very, probably some very real feelings about, especially mm-hmm. when it comes to like, you know, um postpartum depression and Mm -hmm. even just the pressures of people you know to become parents and mothers Mm -hmm. you know and and it doesn't mean that she doesn't love peter or charlie right Mm -hmm. um but i don't know i yeah just i just just think it's interesting especially just that like you know also conflicting with the relationship with her own mother and yeah at first when she was like oh gosh you know i you know wouldn't let her feed you or whatever then she maybe like would but then i was like oh are they working like with bottles here but then you see the miniatures of the mom like also with her like breast out oh i didn't even notice that that. no oh yeah oh yeah i was really trying to play close attention to those miniatures because they are very creepy um but yeah i i agree with that too there's um it's almost horror is actually a really safe place to talk about struggles of motherhood, different types of mothers and flaws too of mothers. Like, you know, you have like your, your like dramas and things where they like really get into it. But I think what is interesting about her saying like, you know, I never wanted to be your mother. Like I tried to, to miscarry and things like that. You know, people have found politically correct ways to say those things like oh you know they were a surprise or like it was a little whoopsie like or something like that and I'm like so are are you saying that you 
were not planning on being a parent, like, and this was just bestowed upon you, like, you know, like they, people find fun ways to say it. But if you said that to, like, if I told Phil, like, if I said like, oh, you were a mistake, he would be devastated. Like that would be a devastating thing to hear for him as a child, like, for, for me as an adult and having a teen mom, like I'm not sitting here like, oh my gosh, I wasn't planned. Like, no, like I don't, I don't give a shit, but I think that that is a very beautiful and nice way to like let women and parents like talk about what it actually feels to be parents, talk about the hard parts of being parents. It's not all fun and sunshine and rainbows. Like it is a lot of work. It is a lot of sacrifice. And I think horror shows that. And sometimes in like ways, like think about like the Babadook where it's just like really over the top, but for some people, yeah, that might actually be their reality other than the, the top hatted monster. But you know, that, um, yeah, that's another really great thing. And like, that's the thing, like this theme, this movie has beautiful themes. It has, you know, so much emotional beats, but to the point again, like this is where I also grade things on a scale of like, am I watching a horror movie or am I meant to like, feel like I'm invested in this family and feeling like in a more emotional state. And for me, that exhaustion that comes from like the dramatic aspects is a lot like and it takes away from the scarier parts of the movie for me like it doesn't it doesn't add to it being a horror movie but it like it definitely has a really strong and well executed message for for that like the emotional aspects of it the horror aspects are where I get confused honestly you know, quick perusal through the Wikipedia. Um, it's funny how you brought up it's like half a family drama and half a horror movie because it's kind of what he drew it up as, you know? And oh, I think the movie the movie plays that way too, where it's like, mm-hmm. you know, it's very much, you know, a family drama. And then really it's only till the last, when she starts doing the seances is when it starts getting yeah. more, you know, more fucked up and especially supernatural. Um, mm-hmm. It'd be interesting to watch this movie as well as Ari Oster's third movie uh Bo is Afraid because um both this and that focus a little bit more on and definitely have like that mater those maternal themes you know but it's mm-hmm. it's interesting too like and I don't know like it makes me not necessarily second guess hereditary because I really like hereditary I I think I was saying in the midsummer episode that I'm not a big fan of but was afraid I don't think I actually I didn't actually even finish it but um I have not seen it yet still when you watch hereditary and you have the parts in you know the group counseling sessions which also by the way like is it is it because the dad is a psychiatrist I don't know like what why why is nobody in why is no one seeing a therapist in this family after all of this also like not to like throw a wrench in what you're talking about one of my questions that actually like is just that it doesn't really have to do with the plot of the movie so much as just a curiosity what the fuck is her job is she an artist is she alec baldwin and beetlejuice like what what is her job i will will get to that in a second because it's pretty good that's in my (laughs) notes but um you know, I think just when she is at this grief counseling meeting and she's saying that she's 
she's always blamed or always feels blamed and then mm-hmm. they ask like what do you feel that you're being blamed for and she can't even say and i'm sure my mother has probably felt that way plenty you know and i'm sure other mothers feel like just like i don't even know what i'm being blamed for but i'm just like carrying this yeah. and this idea of like the mother just carrying this guilt, guilt. even when she, just because yeah. she just feels like that's her 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 role or like you know because who else is gonna do it you know and mm-hmm. and and see that from the perspective of the son and Bo is afraid and it's still I don't know I feel like it just doesn't it doesn't land the same kind of confused on like where he, he's landing with some of these themes you know um when it it's it's sad that she does this in secret too. Like she says she's going to a movie. She doesn't share with her husband, which already is like a whole nother level of like what's going on with the marriage here. Um, Because if anything, he should be encouraging her to do things like that. And, you know, she should feel that it's a safe space for her to share that she's going to this grief group, even if she's, you know, said to the whole family that she, should I be sadder? Like, how should I be feeling? And she's going to these groups, but I was glad we both said guilt at the same time of there's this, there's just this, this guilt that has to do with um, motherhood that isn't always associated with fatherhood. And um, how it plays out is you feel guilty if you are, you know, say you take time away from your kids and you like, you know, go do something for yourself. Maybe you go and have like brunch with a friend or, you know, go, maybe you actually go see a movie. Start a spooky podcast. I don't know. Yeah, start a spooky podcast. You feel guilt if you're enjoying yourself and not missing your kid, or you feel that guilt of being away from them when you could be spending free time with them. So it's when she talks about blame either from her mother or like if it's from her children, even like you don't like some of it can be just self, you know, self-created, like you're, you're creating it in your mind. Like, you know, at this point Phil's eight. And if I say, you know, if I say, Oh, I'm going to record my podcast tonight. Like, and so he's doing bedtime and I'm out here. He's, he's like, have fun. Like he, you know, he's like, this is, this is your thing that you do. Like you enjoy that. And meanwhile, I'm like, oh my gosh, should I be reading stories with him? Like, is he going to remember this? Like, is he going to remember me like every night thinking that I did this, like, and just never read stories to him. And like, that's not true. Like I'm creating a whole narrative and projecting all these like things onto him. So, um, yeah, I think that her character is so so complex and so perfect for someone like Tony Collette because I I think if anyone else played this role it wouldn't have been as deep and well performed like there's a million actresses I could think of that are great but like her anger and her range of sadness and awkwardness too like when she's talking to Joan like everything feels so real she feels like a person that you've met which doesn't happen a lot in movies. And I can't really say that for the rest of the characters in this in this movie. Um, she feels very real. Tony Collette um, is not, I think I read somewhere, is not a fan of horror movies, mm-hmm. you know, but did this anyway. But then I guess thinking, watching through the movie, her performance is really 99%, you know, drama. Yeah. And then 1% 
piano wire through the neck and spider-man moves on the top of the on the top of the ceiling yeah so yeah gosh just uh opening this on you know the funeral and she's like just no kidding no kidding when she's like so many strange new faces yeah she's like who the fuck are all of you <laughs> literally that's her kind way of saying who are all of you and she really hints a lot at like something weird was going on with her mom like her her personal rituals and her you know I forget what she says like secret friends or something like that you know so it, it really shows like a a disconnect there um I want to talk about Charlie that the tongue the tongue click tick is yes it that sounded amazing coming through the headphones um <laughs> but that that tongue click is so effective because she does it enough that like you know that it's her so when she's after she's passed like when it happens it's it's real good um yeah i i have okay and and here's okay maybe i won't talk about charlie just yet what is the what's the teenage boy's name what is his name peter 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 sucks like again I, with you is his character meant here we go. I know. I'm sorry, everybody. I'm sorry. <laughs> Peter is. I know that he's a teenage boy. And I get that. Like, you know, I knew you when you were a teenage boy. And like, you were one of the few that I actually enjoyed. But like, <laughs> but like, this kid is even before, before the death of his sister is so boring and so lackluster. It's not the actor. Like he's doing what he needs to be doing. Um, I just, I don't care about Peter. I care about Tony Collette. Like, so Peter and everything that has to do with him. And I think that's why like the end of the movie gets shaky for me. Cause it really starts to center around him. He is not, um, not a character that I enjoy. And then her husband, honestly, he can go fuck off. Him bursting into flames. I was like, good, good. Believe your wife next time. How about that? Like, always believe your wife. Check it out. Check it out before you send her to an institution. Right? I know, I just went over the whole character. <laughs> the whole character roster. <laughs> Poor Kyle's trying to walk through the plot gracefully. And I'm like, you know what? Fuck this guy. <laughs> Fuck that guy. <laughs> I mean, with Peter, hey, look, what can you do? I mean, he well, is a dumb teenager that just wants to get high and, you know, have sex with that girl that sits in front of him in that class. But it also, I mean, I don't know, maybe, you know, to payment, it doesn't really matter because, like, he just needs a fucking vessel, you know? So who cares if he's dumb and uninteresting? No, I know. I'm, I, you know him wanting to go to this party because he wants to go with this girl like that totally makes sense like normal teenage boy stuff whatever more normal teenager stuff in general um honestly the one thing that tony collett does wrong in this movie for me is the like even with all the rituals and everything like i can i can get past that for grief but like why are you gonna send your 13 year old daughter to a high school party with your son that's just bad choices. Like that feels weird to me. I didn't understand why that would be 
a choice? Well, like, is it just to keep Peter under wraps? Yeah, I mean, I think so, a little bit. I mean, and then also just how, you know, she talks about it a little bit after the, you know, talking about the paint thinner incident and how mm-hmm. they just are always at odds, always arguing over something stupid and always making everything confrontational. And one thing I kind of noticed, mm-hmm. um, you know, from the kind of from the outset of the movie, um, I don't know if it's intentional or not, but I think it's a little seems a little gendered in the way that how the dad talks to Charlie. Like it's always like, you know, at the treehouse, like, what are you doing up here? Or they get inside from mm-hmm. the funeral. It's like, take off your shoes. You know, it's always like a very just quick, he's just ordering. He her closes things. the book too. Like he closes her book when she's drawing at the funeral, which clearly is a coping mechanism for her. Right. And even when she's eating the chocolate, you know, he's just always just like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Does that have, you know? Yeah. Is there nuts in that? Yeah. Even though also, by the way, like who just eats like whole ass, like just Hershey bars. <laughs> I'm so glad that you, thank you for saying that so that I didn't have to be the asshole again. I was thinking the same thing. And the way she eats them, she just breaks off a whole ass chunk. Like, you know, I, I eat my fair share of sweets, but like Hershey just bars? Hershey bars like that shit's like, and they do like, come in contact with nuts on the back of the packaging. Any chocolate, really, that you eat, like you'll see, like this may have been in a factory that came in contact with nuts. So she needs she needs to be more careful. I'm surprised if her allergy is that severe that her parents are just letting her just munch on chocolate bars, or maybe she does it in secret. She was doing it right there in the open at the funeral. I don't know, but I think. Um, <laughs> but I did think it was interesting, but. Yeah, the way that he would talk to Charlie and then, but then also like when the dad would talk to Peter, it was like him checking in like, you know, hey, you know, are you feeling a little sad? You know, what's going on, man? This and this and this Mm -hmm. and this and trying to have more of a conversation with them. And then, and then it switches over to Tony Collette talking to Charlie, you know, and they have their conversation of like, Mm -hmm. well, who's going to take care of me now that, you know, grandma's gone. And that juxtaposed with you know, Tony Collette and Peter's relationship, which is very mm-hmm. antagonistic. And I mean, honestly, it seems like she starts every fucking little fight. Like it's. <laughs> oh, for it's sure. Absolutely she does. her. I, okay. But it definitely is. But also on to Peter's, like on Peter's side, which isn't a, a, a take I'm going to take through this conversation often. So let's give him this one. Would you trust your mom or feel safe around your mom if she covered you and your sister and herself in paint thinner and you woke up to her with matches and a lighter? I would have a lot of trust issues after an incident like that. Sleepwalking or I not. would too. And I think that's what she alludes to when she is at the um the counseling group the second time or no maybe it was the first time when she was like oh i haven't done one of these since a few years ago and she alluded to like well they they Mm. made me go you know this last time and i think that it was i I think she was alluding to that incident i would assume or if she was talking about yeah i didn't even make that connection that totally makes sense it was either that or maybe when her brother died you know which you know you Mm -hmm. hear like you know again and that's and that's where it kind of gets a little wavy on the mental health part is like when her her brother um tony collette's brother you know she talks about how he completes suicide and blames and he's like even in the note he blames it on you know the mother you know saying that she was trying to put people inside him you know and and i don't know for like this movie 
Well, it sounds like he wasn't actually having any mental illness. Like it was. Well, yeah, clearly. Like that was really happening. <laughs> like the mom was wild. Right. And that's where I'm kind of like, you know, like, uh, like, okay, what are you trying to say on like, you know, mental illness and the way that, and if it's hereditary or not like this, it's like, oh, well, no, actually it could just be, a, you know, King, King Payman, the demon, <laughs> you know, that's doing this and this and this and this. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. I thought that was kind of interesting, but again, you know, with, I thought it was interesting with the, when she talks about the paint thinner um, situation, you know, with the sleepwalking and, you know, she wakes up and she's about to light the match. And I know we're jumping all over, but if you've all seen this movie, then you don't, you, you should, you, you don't should need us to walk about. you through this. So yeah, um, we'll, we'll try our best. And, uh, but even hearing her talk about it, she, that instant, she was, very like she was brushing it off a lot being like you know like of course i obviously wasn't gonna do it i mean i wasn't yeah and no one would know that anyone could say they were sleepwalking if you get caught red-handed like about to murder people and and i mean i think she was like at least it was subconscious like i think she was she was sleepwalking probably i believe her but like she's just assuming anyone else would believe her which wouldn't be the case so like i don't know if she was necessarily like and then when she even says that she if this was the incident she's referring to why she went to the group counseling last time it's like even when you're saying like oh you know i was kind of forced to go and this and this and this and i'm just kind of thinking like well i don't know that compound that also partnered with the dinner scene conversation where she gets up and she's like nobody just is accountable for anything and nobody just I don't know and just these these longer conversations these messy conversations around like grief and mourning and when you add blame to that like oh it's just so like it's so messy and the movie just feels just hard and messy and i i when they have i don't know all those components i think again i mean that's the intention that shit works really well at least for me so Mm -hmm. when the horrifying stuff starts happening um you're just like almost i don't know i know this sounds fucked up but i'm just kind of like it almost feels like a release for this family you know like i'm like i just it was just so hard seeing them like that dinner scene i think was especially kind of like the 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 representative kind of piece of that of like how um how is this family ever going to recover from this and and within the span of this movie and the story it wants to tell right so it's yeah she's just cut your just set yourself on fire throw yourself at a attic window slice your head off with piano wire (laughs) um but that that's the thing too like i felt the same way it was like when you have that when you see that dinner scene um which i mean is probably the most like known um scene in this movie i feel like I've, I've seen like a lot of clips of it i've seen a lot of conversation people always talk about it i think the biggest thing for me that i take away from that scene is and like i have no real life experience with something like this happening but like how do you recover a relationship and now like there's blame on peter because how do you recover a relationship if someone puts someone that you love or you have two children and they put the other one in danger and they die. How do you, 
how do you get past that? Like, it's literally the two people, like your, your children are, you know, that you love them unconditionally. But if one of them is responsible for the death of another, how conditional then is your relationship versus like the, just that love, that connection that you feel. And like, it doesn't feel like it can recover. And I absolutely agree when they all are gone, you know, then at that point you're like, okay, like the, what else were they going to do? They were going to be miserable forever. Like Peter, Peter was going to have a fucked up life. Like he was going to have a fucked life after what happened. Um, can we, can we talk about chocolate cake at a high school party? Yeah. Yeah. Why? Sure. Was it someone's birthday? Do you not like cake? No, I love cake. I would have gone to more parties in high school had I known they had chocolate cake. Like, sure, weed's great, liquor's great, but you know what's the best? Chocolate cake. But it isn't typically at, like, drinking parties. Maybe that's me. But, like, you even see the person chopping the nuts. Like, I'm like, who is this person that's baking this cake mid-party? Who are they? What's their story? I don't know if I like nuts and cake. No. But that's just nuts. And you think uh, how, <laughs> I'm gonna roll. How, how clearly you're saying that the nuts are in that cake. I mean, you know, like come on, Charlie. <laughs> I had to notice a little bit. Yeah, you didn't take one bite and notice she was shoveling that cake into her mouth. And honestly, I don't think that she would have made it to the hospital. It wasn't looking good anyway. So even if she didn't like get her head knocked off, I I don't think she would have made it. She was barely, barely breathing at that point. That was so hard. I mean, like just watching her in the back seat, just oh. like kicking and flailing, you know, like trying to breathe. I mean, I mean that. Can I ask you a question that might, <laughs> that might also make me sound like a terrible person? Yeah, go for it. Is it? It's not, it's not meant to be funny when her head gets knocked off, right? No. Okay. The first time that I saw, the first time that I saw this movie, it, like, I audibly laughed out loud because, one, wasn't expecting that. So, like, I was, like, shocked, but, like, in a funny way because I was like, wait, did her head just get knocked off? Like, just her head, like, clean off. So I I felt like, I was like, is this supposed to be funny? Because I thought it was kind of hilarious. But then I get sad because Peter, you know, is is in his just complete shock. And it's terrible. But when she initially, when her head initially gets knocked off, I did think it was a little funny. Hence the lose my head joke in the beginning. That was really good timing to figure how out how all that would have worked because you saw in the telephone poll earlier it has that mm-hmm. that symbol on it the, the, the painting symbol and and something made them crash what was that there was a deer something... in the road so they must oh, that have, was a deer they yeah. planted that deer we think and maybe and here's what i'm thinking buying into your theory were they making the cake exactly that's why you never see fucking cake at teen fucking high school parties because <laughs> joan fucking... was in the kitchen fucking cutting it up getting those nuts in that cake yeah damn that makes this movie much better let's just make that our let's just make that our narrative (laughs) that that really that that brought it up a level for me i like that but (laughs) it's 
Man, I don't know. Yeah, I feel like that seems pretty harrowing. That's rough. Just the look on Peter's face and like, what does he do? He, he just, just drives home. He just drives off and just drives home and just parks and goes to bed. And you're just like, Peter. oh. And then when you hear Tony Clit in the back room, oh, you're like, God. Oh, I'm gonna get some. I'm gonna get some. Uh, fucking. What'd she say? Like, she's going to the store for something. Firewood. I don't know. Wood or something and yeah. hearing just that scream and then it cuts into the scene oh. you're talking about where she's just well and then it reminds me a little bit gosh of you know in in midsummer you know i mm -hmm. think both movies like gosh that that just that outpouring of just just grief and oh. it's just so it's so hard it is impactful like the and the position that she's in she's like on her hands and knees like just rocking back and forth that is it is rough to watch and she gosh she plays it so well um but yeah she she just keeps she says it hurts so much and like oh my gosh it's so brutal um yeah i definitely definitely feel for her like that is a um that's a that's a rough one and part like peter like oh god the guilt um the guilt that he'll be feeling and blame um now just transferring from his mom um yeah just talking That's about just blame and and responsibility and just how fucking just ugh, just how problematic that can be when you're just tying that shit into like such a traumatic event um he's already feeling it you know i mean yeah he was dealt with the card of like yeah okay you, you've got your sister you shouldn't be off you know doing whatever whatever but also he's just a dumb teenager you know like ultimately. yeah like and that and that's why i do place the blame there on on the mom because see i don't sending a sending a 13 year old to a teenage party with your son who is less than reliable that is that to me is just poor decision making that a 13 year old has no business i mean maybe he lied and said he was going somewhere else Did, he says he's going to a party right am i wrong and he said he's going to like a school barbecue oh is that what he said shit okay yeah. well then that makes more it's sense. it's a school barbecue okay, that makes more sense and then also the thing too it's like not just you know your 13 year old sister i mean like charlie needs a little more supervision and a little more yes. guidance and she was clearly uncomfortable um at that party Very. and and can be just Very. those i mean even at school like in any sort of kind of mm -hmm. social situation you know i think she's i don't know but and the way know. he sends her off too like he's literally like like almost treating her like a dog he's like look cake like go get it hurry like just stand over there like he's like very like dismissive of her and just runs away like he doesn't even make sure that she's comfortable with the situation so like yeah okay i i didn't realize the school barbecue thing that totally makes sense that she would say to bring bring her bring sister but um, but i think she was still doing it to be like i think she knew that there was no school barbecue you know what i mean like she knew no, and she was and like and like, it was her uh, like bring your sister and it was like just a and i think for that like i think you it, it was to just him. it was a fuck you to him and yeah. that's what i felt yeah. but then also i no feel one's like getting laid tonight <laughs> and it's also not peter's fault because i'm like you're a teenage boy and you are well, it's not, it doesn't have to be a boy or whatever but you're a teenager you're a hormonal teenager and you're like okay mm -hmm. even with all the cards i've been dealt with this night how can i still smoke a bowl and maybe make out with the girl i have a crush on how yeah. can i still make this work and then i'm like 
oh fuck cool chocolate cake charlie do you mind just going there hanging out here there's cake that's something i know you like chocolate please just go do that <laughs> and you're gonna be cool <laughs> and you know to be fair everyone was nice they gave her a slice of cake really easily at the party they were you really know what nice. you're you're definitely like did you see how how negative i made it and then how you like flipped that into optimism and like okay so fine let's not play the blame game and maybe that's the the point of you know the story when someone dies and an accident happens there's going to be a chain of events that lead them to the place that they end up in very final destination ask so who how can you really blame one person like that that can be difficult to, but um that car accident's pretty rough though but i mean he didn't want her head out the window that was that was her that's on her especially when especially when you know you talk about guilt and responsibility and blame when you know i mean they 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 talk about it a little bit um mm-hmm. in the classroom where they're like you know talking about the play and saying like you know mm-hmm. is it you know, is it just as tragic if he has a choice or if he was fated to always mm-hmm. end up this way? And you think about that in the context of this family where it's like, was anybody really making choices the whole time? Or was this already planned to be this way the yeah. whole time? So it's kind of like, it's, it's oh, neither it their fault. It feels like it's for sure planned. Like the yeah. mother who's passed away and Joan fucking have been planning this before even anybody was born. Like, I, yeah. I think that's uh, maybe maybe not Tony Collette, but definitely her children. Um, and t- speaking of Joan, uh, another flaw of this movie: she doesn't show up for forty-five minutes. I clocked it. No, you just want more. Forty-five Joan. minutes without Joan. Um, you know what I like about Joan? She's another character that feels real in the beginning, but then feels like outrageous as like you figure out what's going on. But she. God, she does such a good job of building that trust with, I don't even remember Tony Collette's character. I just keep calling her Tony Collette. Um, she builds so much trust with her and does such a good job of it. I'm like, did her son and grandson even really die? Like, did she just make that shit up just to get her attention? Did, I, I feel like maybe that might be the case. I think so too. Louis, you know, Louis is the name of the grandson. I forget the yeah. name of the, the son. And also, I sorry, I pulled up the Wikipedia. Annie is Tony Collette's yes. name, but we're still going to keep calling her it's Tony okay. Collette. That's okay. Yeah. Um, and until Joan, yeah, until Joan enters the picture, like you don't even have horror as an option. So she she really brings the flavor. Oh yeah, I made a note saying, "Damn, Joan, I would trust you too." Yeah, but only right? briefly. But fuck, right? maybe not when I got to the apartment the first time. But at first, I'm just like, I don't know. You seem so nice, and she tells a good story, and fuck, you believe it. Yeah. And then also, you're just in that vulnerable spot. It's mm-hmm. like fuck, and then you're just. And she grabs her hands like always, right at the right time, like when she's storytelling. Like jo- Joan is, Joan is a master manipulator. I've got mad respect for Joan. I think she is one one of my more favorite recent horror villains for sure. Um, she just, she does such a great job. And then when she does the seance with her, like, that's another way that she's like building trust. Cause she's like, I've discovered this thing. Like, and you see the little seance invitation go through Annie's mailbox too. And I'm like, that had to have been Joan, right? Just like mm-hmm. slipping that in there. And then when she didn't find it, she's like, well, I guess I'm going to have to wait at the, 
the arts and crafts store because she knows what she does for work. I don't still, but she, <laughs> Joan knows what she does for work. So she knows she's going to roll up at that paint store. How long do you think she waited in that parking lot pretending to load her bags in the car? I was thinking about that too. And I was watching, I was like, how long do you think she's waiting in that parking lot? Being like, oh my gosh, funny what? to see you here. She was probably <laughs> coming there probably every morning like that week. Just waiting. Because you never yeah. know. Yeah. Right? Exactly. Um, <laughs> oh, as far as Tony Collette's job, um, yeah, she is. Well, I mean. Did you research she, it or did you figure this out independently? Or did the research team actually do something? There's there's miniature, like, I mean, people make miniature models and designs when you're doing, you know, capital projects. Like, yeah. you know, do, like redesigning like a new you know, museum or a children's yeah. center or whatever, whatever. I mean, um, but hers looks very personal. Like it's art because it like reflects her home and some of them, or maybe she does both. Maybe she's doing her own personal ones and then she's doing models of hospitals and things like that. Well, that's what it is, is that the, I think um, she has a separate project that she's supposed to be doing, but she's not, which mm. is, you know, doing a miniature model of this building whether it's like a school or a hospital or whatever i forget yeah. exactly if they even say what it but is they keep but, calling know, it a gallery oh or maybe or maybe that's what it is i don't know or i don't know so, like, so I, she, that's what i was confused i was like it seems like she's making practical things but then it, it's like oh like the gallery they're like we won't judge whatever you have and i'm like i can see why she'd be held to a deadline even if she was an artist and needed to do a show it's like you know when you have like you know those like impossibly just non-plausible jobs in like romantic comedies, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, I feel like horror movies, it's like, you know, it's like, okay, if you're like a doll maker, you, know, <laughs> you have an amphitheater. Of some sort, <laughs> yeah. And, or, or just, I mean, I'm just thinking of just horrifying jobs in, uh, in horror movies. And like this one, just like miniatures, especially when you're making miniatures of like your own house and people in your own house. I'd just be like, the second she makes a miniature of their own house, I'd be like, stop it. Throw that nope. away. Get it. I don't Absolutely want it. Absolutely not. Nope. If yeah. you're making little then little people and like- The mom? One's supposed to be me. The sickly mom in the nightgown standing in her bedroom doorway? No. What are you doing? I'm assuming she, I'm assuming she had like dementia and maybe was like waking up in the night. Doing and that's when it gets especially creepy and i'm just like i don't want and then oh gosh and then she starts making it of like you know the accident like where oh, charlie God. died she's like she's like what it's a neutral view of it like and you're yeah. just like okay but why are you even doing that why yeah. who asked for this and why are you doing this that is totally that is totally a her own way of grieving is what what did she call it uh Oh, just like what's a neutral view? A neutral of the, view of yes. the incident. Yes, but it's her way of like recreating the moment she wasn't there for the loss of of her daughter. There's nothing um, neutral at all. Yeah, I I think where so I'll admit, like I so I went into this movie not knowing anything. I didn't know that it was like a cult, um, like I guess you could say satanic cult possession type of situation, and so. The seances, um, like I thought the one with Joan was fun. And then when you get into the seance with the family, and I'm sure a bunch of people are going to be yelling at me like right now, um, I found that part to be like really just not, I was not interested in it. I didn't find it effective out of all the horror beats that happened in this movie. That is my least favorite part. 
Um, actually, no, that's not true. I have another least favorite part, but, um, that that's my least favorite scene her like Charlie like speaking through her and like all of that like and I feel like that's a big a big part of this movie and for some reason like I think that was the moment of the movie that I was like oh this isn't going in the direction that I wanted it to but I didn't even know what to expect or what I wanted I just knew it wasn't that so that scene for me um kind of like pivots um into a different direction um but then it like it recovers and like different creepy things happen and I like those things but that that particular scene I'm like I I don't need this um how how did you how do you feel about that that scene not my thoughts on it <laughs> I don't need your judgment when you whenever you go into a séance scene you know um séances are a lot like late 90s and early aughts chat rooms I love I love a séance don't get me wrong you you are you are you are usually always going in blind it's like chat roulette yeah and whoever answers <laughs> just answers and you know it is seances are uh are like a box of chocolates you know <laughs> that's why i'm just like what makes you think that this was louis what makes you think that what makes this you think was you outside can control of it like that's yeah. a very that is a very ego-driven thought process to think that you can control the outcome of a seance or speaking and communicating with the dead and it's not even like you know like you know jones like oh i met a medium and now i'm a medium now you just have to yeah. light a candle and read this page and oh guess what yeah you can be a medium too here's here's that candle and a page and yeah that's suspicious all of a sudden oh, very suspicious yeah. i'm like i would not fuck with any of that that sounds terrible so yeah like, I, I seances are the spiritual chat roulette and like poor decision making on annie again like did she needed both of them i guess to do this seance even though she seems to have gotten some sort of result in order to drag her family downstairs but i'm like really like you're gonna expose your teenage son to that you see the fear like peter is like like trembling crying like he is terrified of that situation and yet she's still subjecting him to it like at some point it's like i get it you miss your daughter but like you have a living breathing son that needs to be addressed and like this it's another sign of this family not knowing how to deal with like any of their problems in a healthy way um or like address them so yeah, that that also, oh God, that, that part is like just not. Um, yeah, yeah, the seance thing. We were, I was talking about. Um, I was explaining to the children the other day what a Ouija board is because I have this um, Halloween decoration that says like "Home Sweet Haunted Home" or like "Welcome," and it looks like a Ouija board. And my niece asked me, she's like, "What is that?" Like, she's like, "It looks familiar, but it's different." And I was like, "Oh, like." It's supposed to be a Ouija board. And I'm kind of like going off of my sister-in-law's expression. Like, can I explain what this is? Because Phil's been exposed to a lot of like creepy, spooky things, but she hasn't really. And she kind of gave me like a nod, like, go ahead, tell your fucking ghost stories, whatever. So I like get into it and I'm like telling her like how it works and like all of that. And she goes, but who are you talking to? Like who answers? And I was like, she's a child. She is a child and she figured it out who who's answering 
And I was like, well, that's the thing. You don't, you don't know who's going to answer. It could be anyone. Yeah. But I'm like, and by the way, she's seven. So she knew not to fuck with seances. Just having learned about it. And, you know, this movie, a lot like Midsummer, takes something that's based in some, you know, cultural practices that are based in history. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like say like, like Payman, you know, the mm-hmm. demon or was, you know, I don't know, not real, like whatever, but I mean, like, you <laughs> know, some. comes, yeah, is sight, you know, is cited by some and isn't something that Ari Oster just like made up, you know, mm-hmm. um, in the movie, um, you know, they, know that picture of him where he's like either sitting on a horse or part horse and probably part horse and he says he's the god of mischief you know so Hmm. so he's basically kind of like the i don't know just like the The demon version of loki yeah kind of situation just just the real kind of very colorful too um i guess he can only enter people during a very traumatic experience and can only exit people through decapitation love that which i'm like that is a very uh very colorful way to just go about your day it's like well i'm gonna just create something super fucking (laughs) traumatic like setting this woman's husband on fire in front of her or um or maybe i guess i mean i think payment was always in charlie so maybe i don't know that yeah but it seems like you didn't cry when you were born So I think what it is, this is how I interpreted it. And this is like me again, like having a lot of questions, how my interpretation of the situation is Charlie was born with payment, like already inhabiting her body, but because she is female, he couldn't take the driver's seat. Like he couldn't actually take over. There's something about her being female that's holding payment back. Hence the, what wishing that she was a boy when she was born because i think that transfer would have been then easier and the control because as soon as it's in peter's body or like it's charlie in peter's body which is even stranger that's another question um like then there's that control there and peter is completely gone um whereas charlie maybe is like side by side like she's cutting off bird heads and shit like you know, doing, doing some, some interesting activities, um, you know, and shout out to people who taxidermy and like are collecting, you know, dead animals. Good for you. But like, you know, that's not what she's doing. So I'm like, what is she doing? Like, I'm like that, that feels, it feels a little, maybe a little demonic, you know? Well, I'm just thinking of the other movie about pushy moms and taxidermy and it doesn't really work out for people in that one either. (laughs) Um, my understanding, or I guess I don't know, was that Charlie is payment. Oh, it is her. Been. Okay. Like that's so like I don't know if you ever really meet Charlie, the real Charlie, because I don't think because payment was always inside Charlie to begin with. So like okay. that's why when Peter take is being possessed, he it's starts Charlie. he starts doing the things Charlie did because Charlie is payment. But right? Maybe. So then if that is the case then what the fuck is the point of having payment in Peter's body? He wants a dick. He just, just because he wants a dick. If he wanted yeah, a he dick, he a... could have just gone on chat roulette. Yeah, I know. But, <laughs> yeah, he wants to, he wants, so he has to embody a male host and it 
and allegedly, you know, for him to become, you know, earthbound and okay. bring apart the, you know, the end of times or whatever. Um, it not only needs to be a male host, but a male within uh, the grandma's bloodline. Yes. Yes. That, so that's that why piece... I could, that's why I couldn't be the dad. Cause he is not, he yes. doesn't have. Okay. The and that, and that piece I understand, like, because there's always like, you know, with all of these like random satanic rituals and things like that, like it's always like the firstborn son and, all all that so i i get that part but i i don't know that i guess it's not for me to know all the complexities of this ritual like is it really that important that i know it but for this particular movie like i always have questions with horror movies but sometimes it doesn't bother me with this one ah it just it really does and then the other thing that um okay so like going back a little bit the scene in the classroom, which is cringy, um, where Peter, you know, he hears the sound and then mm-hmm. he's like, presumably Charlie's there in his body at that point, right? Because then he starts like slamming his face into the desk, which, oh, yeah, that, oh, it's so, it's so hard to watch. Um, but that piece I didn't understand either. I'm like, so do we not need the whole ritual for her to end up being in his body? Like what's happening there? Well, I mean, I think at this point is remember before this, he was sitting outside at one of the benches during, I guess, a lunch period. And you have Joan just from across the street, just yelling at him, you know, and yelling, you know, and she's conjuring to get, you know, now that um, Charlie's dead, Mm -hmm. payments just kind of floating around like an orb. Which I thought. God. Oh, that's honest. The, wait, is that what the flash of light is? Yeah, that's payment. But Charlie sees it too, before she's dead in her bedroom. Because that was my mm. other question. What is that glimmer of light? I assume that's 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 payment because when um, Peter jumps out of the uh, attic window and then he falls and you think he's dead, which mm-hmm. I think he is dead for a second maybe, but then payment like and then the light comes and then lands on his back and then he wakes ah, up and then he's okay. full Charlie slash payment. Um uh, you know, I'm not here so I'm to, like why I don't yeah, I'm like, so why would she say I'm like, you wrote this movie. Tell me why, Kyle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that I'm, so I'm that not here to can... explain all of it, but I think um that with that's my general understanding of it is because he does he does start taking on some of the you know he does the thing you know before yeah he like fully becomes but i think that's because you know yeah you have people like pushing to like take over peter and mm-hmm. you're making things just more and more just traumatic and awful for him as possible yeah to fully take over you know and i think that makes sense because when you're talking about um tony collette or annie's brother it's not like he was born with payment being a part of him i think mm-hmm. that my understanding or at least my guess would be that the grandma got into this cult after the the grandfather died mm-hmm. which they bring up just very briefly right yeah and, and that makes sense you know these traumatic losses that's how people you know we talked about it with the invitation we talked about it with midsummer like yeah that that is what brings people to mm-hmm. these sorts of things and i think where people can be very vulnerable and manipulated but I don't know in the grandma's case like I love all those pictures of like the parties they were having and when they're oh my gosh. she's in the dress and they're showering her with all the things like this is that, great 
I, so, okay. That I, I have that written in my notes too, because there's, there's two really amazing things again about Joan, but also this photo album. So you've got, you've got Annie who runs over to Joan's apartment and is like banging on the door. But when she first goes over there, there's that mat that she, um, that has her name on it. And she's like, Oh, my mom used to make um, things like this. And it's like, clearly her mom actually did make Joan's mat but I'm like, how Immediate bold? Red flag. How fucking bold of Joan? She's like, you know what? I'm just gonna leave that shit out. That's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna fuck with her a little bit. Like, cheers to you, Joan. Cheers to you, an MVP. But then, all distraught, Annie goes through this album, and as she's discovering that Joan has like been in her mother's life this whole time, that might that's like in my top three favorite parts of this movie when she like also really you didn't go through these fucking photo albums i've gone through photo albums of family members that i didn't like at all like just because i'm like what what's going on here what's your story like i love a photo album anybody's family i'll look through anybody's photo albums but like you could have known what was going on way in advance maybe you couldn't have stopped it but um i love her reaction to that photo album and it is such a grandma thing to do to like keep photos of even like your satanic rituals in a photo album <laughs> well you know again it kind of speaks to again you know not you know maybe not necessarily about you know the context of peter but in the context of annie where yeah it's like you know when they're talking about the play in the classroom where it's like you know the tragedy is that like all of the warning signs were there the whole time mm -hmm. and you still and that's the idea it's like well did he choose that or was it fate and um why can i not remember like what shakespeare movie they're talking about <laughs> but um i, don't, I didn't so sorry, i actually everybody. didn't know either i'm not a big, not a big shakespeare girly um but yeah, I didn't know which what play they were talking about either, but um yeah, they they foreshadow quite well um yeah. with with all of that and I don't think that I caught on to that until the second the second watch. Um but how do you uh how do you feel about um you know again, pretty early on, the dad gets a call that mm -hmm. The body has been desecrated and not mm. just desecrated, straight up exhumed and mm -hmm. pulled out and mm -hmm. stolen. And he chooses not to tell his wife. Yeah. What do you, what do you, what are your feelings on that? Cause I actually kind of support him in that decision. It's okay. This is, it's tough because there's a very fine line between protecting someone from upsetting news and knowing that they don't need that right now like it's like okay we know like because that was after the loss of charlie already right that that happens yeah so if that was after that he's like does she really need to know that her fucking mother's body was exhumed like so there's this like protection level but then to what end are you eventually going to tell her and she's not going to be furious that you didn't say anything. So like, I would hope that no matter what type of mental state that I'm in, that my husband would give me the courtesy to feel what I'm going to feel and go through what I'm going to go through and be honest with me. So like, I don't think he's the worst person in the world for keeping it from her, but if that were me, I'd be pissed. 
that I didn't know, especially like, I mean, we find out that that body has just been up hanging out in the attic. So that adds another level of complexity to it, because if he would have just said that, then maybe she would have thought more like what's going on. Um, I'm glad he got the phone call because I'm thinking, yeah. like, who else was going to handle that with a straight face? And I do kind of, you know, applaud him a little bit. He tries through this. We just try, like, I think his idea of dealing with grief maybe is just trying to be that just like being the rock solid solemn yeah be the rock Mm -hmm. calming presence or whatever and i think if so shortly after the death of like an in-law i and got that call Mm -hmm. i'd be like hmm let me get more details on this exactly before i bring it to the larger group but i will eventually and i would say within Within a few days. Well, that's the thing. But I'd I think be like, it let says, me go to the graveyard. Let me go. Doesn't it say that they're investigating it either in the email or by phone? Like they they say that there's like further investigation going on. So maybe that's what his intention was. Like he's like, both, yeah. Should I maybe learn more? Like it, it could just be a stupid prank. Like you know, like I don't know who's digging up bodies as pranks, but um, it's not as common as I thought it might be. I tried googling around to see. <laughs> How many bodies are stolen out of graveyards each year? Ooh, how many? And I couldn't find it. There's no stat for that, so, huh? <laughs> it probably yeah, flies yeah. Or, pretty or under run, the radar. We'll <laughs> like run it up to the research team. We'll like if you them. if you were a cemetery, we'll if you were a cemetery and you're like trying to trying to keep a, a good business going, like are you really gonna want to publicly announce that people are just stealing bodies left and right from your cemetery? I would just put that dirt right back and just be like, oh you know who's gonna know who's gonna know <laughs> they're better off just thinking everything's fine think of all the gravekeepers padding those stats i hear that so you know so it's hard to ever know really yeah but so so in that case if i were the if i were the cemetery or like you know the what do they call them the the people who that like the groundskeeper if i were like the groundskeeper i'd be like oh i'm just gonna throw that dirt back in there and nobody's going to know the wiser and somebody just ran off at that body. It's all good. Um, yeah. Keep my job, you know, would you take that job? Cause there's, there's some where like, too. there's like a, like a living, like, like a living on site, you know, grave keeper, cemetery keeper, yeah. manager, whatever that there's like usually like a house in the middle and then they live in that house and they just, keep an eye out on shit you know and just kind of manage the cemetery that would be that'd be a tough call um because you couldn't like you couldn't have a family living in a house like that like i don't i don't know like yeah i think if you were a very um a person who valued their silence and alone time and you you know weren't you're very introverted and maybe wanted to be away from people I think the dead can be very comforting if you're that type of person um and I don't find cemeteries scary I think cemeteries are actually very beautiful so at night maybe by myself I might think it's a little bit scary just from all the movies that I've watched but I personally have never had any type of encounter that's made me feel like I shouldn't be safe in a cemetery so I think the hardest part of that would be seeing grieving people all the time. That would be hard. People visiting graves, crying, you know, um, 
some people just hang out at their their loved ones grades and like eat lunch and like feel like they have presence with them so and also just the thought of a bunch of bodies underneath um underneath you is kind of weird so to answer your question no I would not take that job <laughs> would you in a different life yeah. in a different life <laughs> I think that'd be pretty chill. Okay. Speaking of bodies, this is totally off topic, but because we were speaking of dead bodies underneath us. Okay. So there is a park in San Diego. I don't remember what park it is, but I'm sure if you gave it a quick Google, you could find it um, in which it was built on top of an old graveyard. So they, they just, it's old, old, old enough of a graveyard that apparently nobody, maybe no living relatives care um, but it exists. And I remember I was at like a children's birthday party and the dad of the the kid that we were there to celebrate was like, hey, did you know that this park was built on top of a graveyard? And I was like, don't fuck with me. Don't don't say that if you don't mean it. And I looked it up and I was like, oh, shit, this is real. So kind of a weird, yeah, weird thing. I, you know, I'd be pissed at one of those ghosts yeah <laughs> around children all the time oh playing come on it's hard because it's like you know i just think of just you know i guess just the the long history of well one hidden bodies and graves all over the place and then also mm-hmm. you know all the, just the the bloodshed of indigenous cultures you know from imperial american imperialism right um or european imperialism any of it like i'm like uh i think there's probably a non-zero chance we're always um over the grave of somebody of something and so yeah so maybe it's yeah and i mean how much how much i mean over the over time you know you're gonna have to phase out graveyards and cemeteries because we're run out of space like there are there are a lot of people on this earth and they're all gonna die at some point so i mean i guess at some point you just got to find the really old graves that nobody's going to be up in arms about and just be like well let's uh let's just pave that and build a housing track on top of it and see see if we can get some poltergeist happening oh jesus oh i don't know yeah. Oh my God. So for the, for the husband, I wish he would have just believed her more though. Um, and that's like a classic, classic horror movie, you know, situation where she's, she's really trying to tell him what's going on. And like, he saw that seance, like he should have been way more open to anything that she was saying. That's where like, I'm like, at first it makes sense when they get to the seance, you need to start being a little bit more open-minded. Um, and I think the, cause I, at some point she tries to burn Charlie's journal and then her arm lights on fire. So she's under the impression that if she burns this journal, it will not only like get rid of her spirit, presumably, but she may go up in flames. But then that flip of her throwing that journal into the fire and him going up in flames. Okay. So I think I shared my top three moments of this movie then. So it's that when he, when he lights on fire, her face. Oh, devastating. Well, first I was like, okay, when was it established that by destroying this book, you'll just like solve your problems. She made that up in her head. Right. And then also 
the idea of I did I did think it was a fun twist where you know she tries to set the book on fire her sleeve catches on fire mm-hmm. so she sees that connection but even still she's like willing to be like you know hey I need you to throw this in the fire like she knows very well that he will die and she's like so I need you to do this and she's encouraging I she him knows to do that it. he that she like she's thinking she would die not him no I think she's thinking that I don't know. I think she's maybe just whoever throws it in there. But maybe she was thinking that she was going to, and she was like, you just got to do it. Oh, is that what it is? That you have to be the the one, you're the one who throws it in, and that's what lights you on fire? Maybe I don't make the rules. And even then, Heyman changes it pretty immediately. It doesn't matter, because he's like, look, I'm just going to set on fire whoever the fuck I want to set on fire. And so she throws it in, and then he catches on fire. I love that. And then you see that change, right? When Heyman takes her Yeah, her face changes real quick. So, okay. And then this is, so like we go from that high. So that's like a high Mm -hmm. for me on that part. And then as soon as she's like crawling on the walls, I feel like I'm in a different movie. Like it, it felt like it didn't belong when she's like crawling on the wall. So wasn't a fan of that. But that being said, the piano wire situation cutting off her own head is pretty fantastic. That was really great. Oh, that's pretty great. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think all of this is so effective at the end when you have his death and then her change and then it cuts to peter waking up and she's just i forgot he was even in like in this movie just passed out she's well i mean you know he did fucking just smash his face multiple times so he's at home he's resting but like you know she's fucking spooky spider-man mode hanging out like you know (laughs) connected to the ceilings and shit and with oh and with all the people you see or with some of the people you see at the beginning at the you know that one creepy ass dude he was like just giving you know charlie that weird creepy grin and stare from the very beginning you know when they were looking at the casket oh, he shows up who that naked. guy is i was wondering why mm-hmm. he was i was like who's that dude smiling in the background. He was at the beginning and yeah. he was making that same fucking smile at the so beginning. So I remember I remembered him from the beginning. I didn't realize he was the same person as the end. I like yeah. the bodies that are moving around without heads too. That's Love really it. fun. Yeah, that's that's fun. But that's the thing. Like the whole like end and climax is very up and down for me. I think so, it's all I think it's just it's just win after win. I I I think most people would agree with you. I I absolutely agree with that. There's something there's something underwhelming about it. Like I was expecting something like way more intricate and deep because I was so confused throughout the whole movie, three watches into it, but it actually is quite simple. Like it's a satanic cult that is trying to get a demon to be in this person's body. And it happens to be all about getting it into the character that I least enjoy in the movie. So seeing him meet his demise, I'm just like, eh, good riddance. Fuck you, Peter. Like, enjoy your new demon possession like there you have it i don't think he will either (laughs) i think he's dead (laughs) um and then that weird statue uh ari aster apparently loves statues made of dead bodies that like are very ornate and arts and crafty that must have been what joan was picking up from the store i think so too (laughs) um i don't know i guess i just thought it was all effect it was super effective i mean i think once you get to that point where you're just like how is this family ever going to 
they're not. resolve any of this. This will take years and years and years of <laughs> lifetimes. And if that, you can resolve yeah. any of that shit in lifetimes. And then you get to this point where, yeah, it's like, you know, then you have, you know, Annie chasing Peter through the house. Mm-hmm. He goes up the attic where it was established earlier that the fucking headless, you know, mm-hmm. blackened body of the grandma's. Oh, and just then there. she's missing, right? By the time he's up there, that's pretty fun. And then Peter runs up and then finds like, you know, fucking the same picture that was over at um, uh, Joan's place. where it's mm-hmm. His picture with his eyes like, you know, yeah. cut out and shit. Oh, my God. And then oh, and then that shot with Tony Collette underneath, like pounding her head against the attic door over and over and over and over. Again. Oh, see, I didn't like that. I, I think it's. So, okay, I think the crawling on the walls and the pounding of the head felt, it feels like a different movie to me. And I, like, when I say, like, a different movie, I don't mean, like, you're outside of Hereditary. I feel like I'm watching something else that is familiar. Like, I'm recognizing that from something else. And it feels like maybe every other Possession movie that I've seen. So that's where, like, it goes, like, in and out for me. And I, again, judging it super harshly because of all the hype. So... And and I think that I think Ariaster does a really effective job of a story that I feel like I've seen before, like at the end, the beginning of the movie, the middle of the movie, even very feels very original. And I think I was expecting something more in depth and deeper, almost like the same way that like for Midsummer, like I feel like it it's steady the whole way through, like the feeling of the movie, like I I I feel very um like I'm on this journey whereas like in this movie I'm like I'm on this journey and then all of a sudden I'm in another movie that I've already seen before and again I know I'm being super harsh and I know everyone's going to come at me because everybody loves hereditary um and I think it's a really good movie I genuinely do but that the ending just it feels like underwhelming um like half of it we'll say but it's got it's got a lot of really stunning amazing things too so i have a very torn relationship with it that's okay go out hey say what you gotta (laughs) say i love it um and that's why i chose this movie because i was like i i really need to air out my feelings and i know you love it so i was like it will it will create good good conversation i loved the piano wire and then her going faster and faster that's great and then and then, you know, he turns and then he sees Joan with a couple other people and Joan's just waving. Hello. <laughs> Is she naked at that point? Are they all naked? Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. even better because you're like, Joan is like somebody's grandma, maybe somebody's like, maybe dead somebody's grandma, but um, seeing her just being naked, waving like. Well, she's Louie's grandma. She explains. Yes. It, well, allegedly. <laughs> yes. Allegedly Louie's grandma. Um. Yeah, and that's the other thing. I'm like, what was the mom's like role in this cult that she's responsible for, you know, having the lineage to embody this demon? That's the other thing that I think is uh, a big question mark for me, too. I think at some point that, you know, her. Yeah, I mean, she was the she was the queen. And he was the king. And um, so there's. You know, so it's definitely intentional there. Um, I 
I don't know if I would have, I mean, I don't know, man, you run up to an attic. Yeah. You only have so many places you can go. I don't know if I would have immediately ran for the window and dived out like that, Mm -mm. but I would have probably tried to maybe just run back down the attic. Now knowing that all the threats are up here in the attic, lift that door and just try, just dive down the stairs and just run. But Hey, you know what? I wasn't there, so it's okay. But I did like, um, this movie's also very long. That's another thing that it gets points off for. Just gonna throw that out. Just gonna throw that out there. <laughs> Anything over like an hour forty, you're just like, oh, you're over, yeah. you're overstaying. You're welcome. Yeah. That's, that's why I won't watch Oppenheimer just like on principle. I'm like, How long no, is thank that? you. It's like fucking like three hours. Not gonna happen. I refuse no. to watch anything that that's that's that long. And if I did, I'd probably have to watch it in three sittings. I could watch like a television like, series. Yeah, I was going to say, I can watch a Chucky movie twice for the time it takes me to watch Oppenheimer. <laughs> and that and would be would much you... more fun. <laughs> Way more fun. So please. Um... <laughs> so, you know, you have that that little orb that comes back, you know, payment finally takes over. And I guess, you know, hey, that's pretty traumatic having jumped out of a window and having seen all this shit. Yeah. You know, I'm like, ah. So I like payment as a little fun with it. But yeah, your um, mom in that state would definitely be traumatizing enough. I think so. And isn't does and he see his dad's burnt up dead body on the floor too? He does see point? that too. Yeah. So I did like not a good spot to be in. I did like that when um you know Peter's in the bushes after having tripped out of the attic, you can hear in the background like both the body and the head of Tony Collette fall to the ground yeah. in the background, you yeah, know, yeah. which is really good. And I loved that shot of her floating headless body to the tree house across the yard, up to the tree house. Oh, that was so good. I loved it. And <laughs> even though I'm like, look, I get that is a well-made tree house. I mean, that is a, I've seen tree There's houses a lot of like people that. in that tree house. That's a high capacity for that tree house. I feel like I've seen tree houses like that in like, on like Airbnb yeah that for like 200 a night that treehouse so like, looks bigger from the inside than it does from the outside for sure too like oh yeah there's studio sturdy, apartments sturdy. there's studio apartments here in seattle that are certainly smaller <laughs> than that treehouse and do, uh, do we think that the dad built that treehouse i don't i don't see him building that treehouse i don't know not to knock the dad and nothing against him i put him in is is an observation in the notes but i didn't you know nothing against him but he um he's certainly much older you know like i i checked he's like he's like in his 70s oh yeah he's much older than what tony collette at this point would be like in her mid late 40s early 50s yeah Uh, Yeah. tony collette maybe i don't know i don't know how old she is who knows but um i liked all of that the whole situation going on upstairs and then you know i i guess i just didn't you know, I guess I just don't need a whole lot to understand, you know, payment or their whole plan, really. I mean, it was really just as simple as, you know, Joan saying to Peter, like, hey, you know, you're, uh, you're King Payman. Here yeah. you are. What's up? You're in your body. Welcome. Now that, and I think they mentioned that um, something about like you know the 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 trinity is is dead or gone or whatever mm-hmm. they're not a problem anymore so like we're just ready just to take over the earth and just fucking just get going you well know? and that's the thing like um, i don't need to know their whole agenda like i, I don't need all that i mostly just want to know like how we got from point a to point b and like 
please, anyone who wants to try to like walk me through this, like I would really appreciate it. Like you can, you can write me like, <laughs> and I will read I mean, through I, it. I just, I just tried over the last hour and a half. No, I think you did a decent job. Um, <laughs> I think you did a decent job. I still just like, I don't know. There's something, and maybe it's also because this movie has low rewatchability for me because of the runtime and because of all the exhaustion, I may never find the answers. And I'm okay with that. I, I I really am. And I would, I would recommend this movie to most anyone who likes horror, because I think, I think it's a crowd pleaser, but um. For me, it's fine. Like it is a good movie. It's fine. I don't need to watch it. That's why I, it took me five years to, to get to a second watch. So when I watched it the second time, I actually didn't really remember much then. Like it was like the head falling off and then the outcome of payment being uh, possessing Peter. So that was all I really remembered. Everything in between, I was like, oh, this is all fresh and new for me again. So um, yeah, I, did, I hadn't uh, hadn't rewatched it in a while. So I I felt um, felt like if I didn't revisit it and I went out of my way to revisit Midsummer, that like there was a difference between the two. And like, I, I don't like to compare movies from like writer directors in that way. But the reason why I do is because I didn't like Midsummer as much as I thought I would my first watch and then I it grew on me and it um my appreciation grew for it and maybe that will happen with this movie over time who knows maybe I don't know I won't keep my hopes up <laughs> yeah don't hold your breath <laughs> so you know I don't know we didn't go in order by any means necessary but we kind of landed the plane a little bit we're here I think so. um before we get into the boost scores um anything else you want to any else, anything else you want to touch base on? Anything else you want to cover? Um, yes, two things. One is, again, I would recommend this movie to um, to anyone. I think it's fun. I think this movie would be fun for me to watch with someone else who's never seen it. So that would be where I think I would rewatch it. That would be a more fun um fun way to watch it. And even like I'm and he can correct me if I'm wrong, but cousin Vinny, who's come up a couple times and, uh, you know, was my, my, another horror movie buddy. He hadn't watched this movie until this year. So he had never seen it. And he texted me and was like, it was good. And I was like, Oh, I'm so curious to hear his thoughts on, on this because maybe because I had talked so much shit and was like, this is overrated that he was like, it was fine. Like, I think he felt like I was being too harsh. So, which is fine. Um, because you know, I can't, I can't love everything. Okay. I can't love everything. <laughs> and you know, and that's okay. I mean, you can, yet you choose not to, you choose I will to, not. <laughs> you choose, you choose to be not. a troll about it and that's okay. <laughs> but that's, and that's the thing I acknowledge this is a good movie I think all the acting is amazing even the actors that I or the characters that I don't like I think that the like the acting is so great but um again Joan chef's kiss we love her yeah, Joan, um, Joan's good I think you'd like her in um the leftovers but it is a it's it's a it's a, what is it is it a, a bit drama of a yeah 
Okay. I only watch dramas as television shows. I refuse to watch movies that are dramas anymore because it's um very, I don't know. Like, I feel like I need time to like build a relationship with characters in order to like really feel it. If it's just straight up drama, for some reason, horror works differently for me. All the movies that I watch are only horror, by the way, everyone. Um, well, <laughs> horror, you know, horror is kind of famously built upon some of the ideas that you don't have to care about a lot of these characters because True. they're just generally, they just become fodder pretty yeah, quickly. Yeah, they're just um, for to to pad the body count for sure. Do you, uh, I'm happy to share my boost score first. I think it's going to be the more boring one. I had a second thing. That was only one. Okay. That whole speech was only one thing. So <laughs> here I've got you, yeah, you go ahead. slow down. The second thing is the taglines. There's only two, but the tagline, one of these taglines really might even add half a boo for this movie for me. Maybe not. We'll see. Ooh. The first one, <clears throat> excuse me. The first one is evil runs in the family. Does it? Yeah, no, I mean that one's the one that's not so great. Okay. Um, this one I think is great. Maybe I'm talking. Maybe I'm hyping it up too much. <laughs> um, every family tree hides a secret. Works two ways because it's like the treehouse, right? Every family tree. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, Sorry, here. Treehouse. Way over my hides head. A secret. I thought it was Love fun. It. I was like, that's great. Like, because they end up in that treehouse. Um, Literally. Yeah, the family tree. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. So I, I thought that was a fun one. I don't know. I liked it because I, I think if I saw that on a movie poster, I'd be like, meh, whatever. But then after watching the movie, I'd say, okay, okay, family ew, tree. Ew. Got it. Okay. It's cute. Like it. Love it. All right, now we can do our boo scores. I can't wait to hear what your boo score is because I think- I know, I'm so boring. And I'm almost the more positive one. Um, no, I mean, this movie was really effective for me when I watched it. I think I probably would have given it a five oh. when I saw it the first time in that first year after watching it. That's high um, praise, high I've, praise. I've, I've settled down a bit and then also wanted to bring- See the attention that just I know it's just hard because it's so common in horror movies. We just have another fucking dead dog. God damn it. Every There's single a dead time. dog in this one too? Yeah. Well, they would show the dog like pretty quickly. And he's like barking at Peter in the hallway at one point. And then the I door shuts on him. And then when Peter jumps out of the attic and gets up mm -hmm. as payment and is um everyone's going to the treehouse mm -hmm. there's a quick shot of the dog lying there dead um at least this one was my pick and not yours because you've been picking most of the ones with the dog dead i know so um <laughs> does it help at all that it was off screen and you don't hear like the yelp sound that some movies do to like yeah that's that always makes it worse but the problem is that like there was no reason for that dog to be dead other than like so you didn't see that dog going just set out him free to, like let him yeah, let him find a new family that's less fucked up. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. So I didn't even notice the dog off to the side. Maybe they needed him for the ritual. I'm calling a quick audible. I was going to give it a four. I'm going to give it a three and a half, a really strong three and a half. I like Ooh. this movie a lot, but I think that, again, not to compare. I know we were talking about comparing 
you know, yeah. different films from writer directors, but like, I mean, I, I think. Oh, you that... didn't want to score it higher than Midsummer. Because Midsummer is. For... Yeah, Midsummer is a stronger movie uh, overall. I mean, yeah. like you have Tony Collette's performance is <sighs> is absolute fucking masterclass yeah. in this shit, and yeah, she's incredible on in everything. And I will yeah. watch things with Tony Collette in it just because just just the goodwill from you know not only this movie but. Um, you know, I mean, I talked about how much I liked her in that remake of Fright Night. She kicks ass in that too. Oh, she's so, good. so she's got so some she's everything. got some horror cred. And of course, you know, like Knives Out, maybe you know a little more recently, even that was a couple of years ago now. Yeah. But I she's like Knives uh, Out. Dude, she's so good. Yeah. I love her. So um I'm gonna say like a very strong, positive, lovely three and a half. This movie does kick um a lot of ass. I think it just it just kind of takes you through a ride and i don't know i i i, I know i'm i hype it up maybe a bit but I, I really think it's effective in how it just really puts you in a raw state and then the horror starts coming you know it could then it was your more yeah um, it, it supernatural you, idea of horror the it real, definitely the, puts you in a yeah the real horror is that family drama shit um but yeah it puts you in a really vulnerable state i agree and and like you said um this is not a movie that i would ever like if someone was asking like oh do you think hereditary is good like i'd say oh you should watch it for sure like i wouldn't i wouldn't say anything about it like i'd be like you should definitely watch this i think most people will receive this movie like but saying like it is heavy like i think that is known about this film but um definitely worth watching i think anyone who loves horror should absolutely watch this movie um anything else any other thoughts geez i mean i think you're setting up your boo score right there give, I, give it to I me was, i was, was, was logging yours um again like aligned with you i i didn't want to score it higher than midsummer as much as i'm not trying to compare the two um and rewatchability is a full boo on the Natalie scale. So it it does lose it does lose some points for that. I'm gonna give it a three. I'm gonna give it a solid three. That's really um You're like that's surprising again, I, after all the shit you just talked. Yeah. I mean I was I was ex I was expecting a two and a half. Really? So okay. Yeah. I would reserve a two and a half for I can't even think of an example off the top of my head, but maybe like a movie that I feel this way about that I wouldn't recommend to other people. Like maybe a movie I like have problems with that I would only recommend to a very select group of horror fans. Like I feel like we both have friends who are, you know, big fans of horror and hopefully are listening, but they each have kind of their own thing that they like or like type of movie. I feel like Hereditary is like this umbrella that anybody could be covered by. Whereas like, you know, I'd only recommend my really campy B movie favorites to a select group. Like there's like little, there's like subgenres of horror fans along with the types of movies. So um, that's where my 2.5 kind of like goes to. Like, yeah, if that makes sense. But you know, again, super inconsistent uh with our with our boo score so i'm glad that we actually did build some consistency into it with this boo rating love it yeah i think for like a two for me would be like the conjuring movies 
Like that's where I kind of said it. Where, but but I yeah, think I, I actually watchable. think I agree with that. I, they're perfectly I, watchable. Have yeah. fun with them. Sure, there's great things I like. There's also stupid things. Yeah, but it's it's well made and it's watchable. And I would still just say like, hey, if you're bored, yeah, watch it. I wouldn't go as yeah. be like, oh man, you gotta watch the Conjuring movies. But I'd be like, but again, eh, but, you know, if they're on. Have some fun. Two there stars. are people who like the conjuring is one of their favorites. Like I'm, I've definitely heard people like name that as a movie. Like, Oh, do you like the conjuring? Like in, but we've talked about this before. I think we should talk about the conjuring um, at some point. I think we should, we should talk about that one so we can be more clear on what our, what our problems with it are. Um, yeah, it almost feels kind of vanilla for me. Maybe that's maybe that's harsh, but um, I also haven't watched it in a very long time. Yeah, me too. So, well, we'll we'll take a look. We'll we'll look at the well, schedule, see where we can fit it in. Yeah, we'll see. But in the meantime, we need to talk about Tony Collette for for one more week. <laughs> Gosh, I think that's all I got. Well, I think I had a good time talking about this movie. And again, yeah. we always end up a little closer on our ratings than I think. Always with me being a little bit more of the optimist. And that's okay. <laughs> I think we're all right. We can settle into some of those roles. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's a wrap on and that's a wrap on Hereditary. I was about to say Midsummer. That's a wrap on Hereditary. Huh? <laughs> we don't even know which one we're talking about. Two completely different movies. No, oh, geez. That's a wrap. Yeah, we yeah. did it. <laughs> Have a good night, everybody. <laughs> Three, two, one, ghost. Thanks for listening to our episode on Hereditary. If you're enjoying our podcast and would like to know what we have coming up, give us a follow on Instagram at 321ghostpod. You can reach us by email at 321ghostpod at gmail.com to suggest a movie you'd like to hear us chat about or... Order one of Kyle's world-famous, personalized quilted doormats. We would greatly appreciate if you left us a killer review and subscribe to our podcast wherever you choose to listen. If you can't wait to hear what's next, don't lose your head. Next week, it's going to get Christmassy up in here with Krampus. Thanks again for listening, and remember to be suspicious of anyone you run into in the parking lot twice. Three, two, one, ghost. <laughs>